Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. And the questions and answers in order to carry the message to the second. Um, thank you for having me here. It's really nice to hear all people from all over the world. I think hands down the place I'd want to be out of all those countries listed is Spain. Um, that's my my pick. Um, anyway, I'm I'm going to speak today about um, some of my milestones in recovery, some of my key experiences. I've definitely shared parts of this at other meetings and other talks, but this is what I hold close to my heart, um, how I um, came into the program. I'm not going to talk about what things were like, because you could just imagine a very colorful story. I was one of the lucky ones to have a, a, a real low bottom where I was doing you know, a lot of risky, dangerous behavior, putting my life and other people's lives on the line. Um, and I think um, I didn't get sober straight away. Um, I thought I was ready, but obviously I wasn't. And the way that I got sober is ultimately by being desperate enough. And I used to think it was a problem of how 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 low I had to sink before I was able to get sober. But I'm actually grateful for it because I came to a point where I was hands down willing to do whatever it took to stay sober. And I could only have done that with desperation. And I know when I speak to um, other women in the program or thinking about joining, it's very difficult when you're not desperate. Because I feel like a lot of the women I speak to sometimes want to join the program because they want to carry on acting out. They just don't want any of the negative side effects that come with it. So they want to join the program to relieve their guilt and find a comfortable way of acting out. And I think that may have been me at the beginning. But at the end of the day, I had to be so desperate. I, I was in a spot where I knew I couldn't act out for the rest of my life. And I also couldn't imagine a life where I wasn't acting out either. I didn't want any of those. So what choice did I have but throw myself into this program, um, which which was really a final option for me? I tried so much um, stuff tr- before I got desperate enough. Um Another thing that helped is getting a sponsor. I didn't stick around the program trying to see if I could work it out. I mean, maybe I did a bit. I was quite intellectual about it. Tell me why this would work. What psychological mechanism is step one trying to get me to be or do or feel? And I just had to throw my intellectualism out the window. It wasn't about me trying to figure out if I understand it. I just had to do it. My own thinking was the thinking that got me into acting out. So there was no way I could use my own thinking to get my back on track. Well, I tried that and it just wasn't working. So with the help of my sponsor in America, eight hour time difference, calling her every day, calling her when I was triggered, calling her before I got stuck, calling her after I got stuck. I really just threw myself into whatever she had to offer. She was someone who worked the program. I wanted what she had. Um, and she wasn't necessarily the most kindest, softest, gentlest person, but I didn't need that. I needed someone to call me out on my lies, to tell me, you know, where I was losing myself, telling me what my rationalizations were. And that was that. And, and it hurt sometimes, but it helped. I took the actions even if I didn't want to. I remember so many times I tell her, no, I can't. I just can't. And she always used to tell me, Mulkey, it's not that you can't, you won't. And that's what I echoed to my sponsees. You're not, it's not true that you can't do X, Y, or Z. You can fill in the gap for yourself. You won't. You're choosing not to. And that really helped reframe it. I wasn't the victim who can't, you know, pull themselves together. I was choosing not to. And very often, like, you know, if I speak to someone in the program and I'm like, oh, okay, it sounds like what you need. Um, is a filter just to put a gap between the first thought that goes into your head to act out and the pornography you click on. Oh, you don't understand. I'm willing to do everything else, but just not the filter. And I, I, I remember hearing that in myself, willing to do everything except the one thing that's being asked of you. And so I had to start doing these things, even if I didn't want to, even if I didn't understand. Again, that um, because I was so desperate, 
I had to, interestingly, put in more boundaries than what the sobriety definition had to offer me. Um, and that's actually something quite fluid and it changes with my program. Um, but I, I um, did an amazing exercise with my sponsor where I worked out where was my point of powerlessness. And this will be different for every person. But for example, I know that I had a choice about taking my laptop. I had a choice about what um, site I type in. But once I'd click on that chat room, that was my point of powerlessness. I could not tell you when I would next be off that, that chat room. And everybody has, and it's an amazing like enlightening exercise that I've done with my sponsees where they find that point of powerlessness. And that's what I had to add onto my um, definition. What's the point where I come to of no return? That's my point of powerlessness. So that was all my step one, the chaos, the unmanageability and just being desperate, get doing what it takes. I'm going to move on to my um, higher power milestone. Now, I'm a religious Jew, and that worked to my disadvantage when I joined the program, because what do you mean? I've been praying all my life. I know all about God. Who are you to tell me, um, you know, that God's kind, loving, and wants the best for me? I know he's one that's punishing. I know there's a special spot in hell reserved for me and everything I've done. And I know that my God is waiting for me to trip up. And it was very, very difficult to hear people talk about anything other than that. And, you know, and I was like, what you're telling me to talk to God in my own words. I have a book that tells me what to say to my God. Um, and, and it was an interesting journey. It was really, really interesting. My sponsor, I'm so grateful. I said, I want to throw away all my religion. And I'd like to start from the beginning, taking what I think I want and, keeping what I feel genuine. And she said, Mulkey, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. If you would like to become more genuine and authentic in your religion, you owe it to yourself to start looking for answers. So I had to start to not reinvent my higher power, but find proofs in my life that God was not like the one that I thought he was. I had to abandon that um, image belief idea. And I had to start to look for proof that God was the opposite. So I didn't just change my higher power. I had a big problem with people saying, just switch what you think. But actually, you know, when I was looking in my step one story, when the fact that I, you know, countless times where I could have got pregnant and I didn't, finding a solution in this program, being able to hold down a job, being good at my job, getting praised, getting a promotion, all these things, first of all, happened later on in recovery. But there were points I could really point to and say, it cannot be that God is cruel, punishing and evil, because look at the countless blessings I have in my life, even if it was just my eyesight, the fact that I could breathe and the fact that I had clothes to wear. And I had to slowly, slowly realize that God was something that I maybe didn't know and dare to discover. And actually, in terms of my religion, I ended up asking some rabbis my questions. And in that sense, the program has absolutely enhanced my religion in such an amazing way. Now, the program is not religious and I didn't work a program to become better in my faith this is a positive side effect just like the relationships in my life are more real and I really had to separate the feelings of guilt and shame that came with sinning and the desperation of I can't afford to act out as a human being and that was really important for me to separate and my sponsor would really tell me, oh, you're getting a bit religious about this. We're not a religious program. And that was really helpful. And it's what I pass on to other Jews that I talk to that come into the program thinking, you know, um, bringing religion and it gets quite messy. Um, but thank God, one of the benefits has been enhancing um, my religion. Um, that leads me on to talking about prayer and meditation. So at the beginning, I really got the prayer bit, but I had to start with my own prayer and it had to be my own. And that was okay. It was a real way for me to talk to God. I love the program prayers. I added in bits. And as I'm, I am like um, coming up to five years sober. So I've had a really long time to work on this aspect of prayer. I used to be, you know, just getting on my knees praying in desperation. Sometimes I used to just on repeat, God, please help me. God, please help me. God, please help me. God, please help me. Sometimes on the way back from work, I'm still God, please helping me just to get through the car ride or whatever it is, because you can't 
pray and lust at the same time. I can't pray and have fear at the same time. So repetitive prayers in my head is something I definitely still use. But as I said, in terms of enhancing my religion, I'm really able to use the two. I'm actually uh, like taking a little, doing like a little project where myself uh, with myself, where I'm listening to some Jewish lectures on our Jewish prayers. And I'm also connecting it to how that relates to me and my program. And in that sense, I'm able to really connect with both my religion, the program and praying. Um, but at the beginning, absolutely had to be my own. And at the beginning, sometimes I'll be like, God, I really don't want to talk to you when I don't have much to say to you. But at least I was connecting with my higher power. Um, I also, by the way, at the beginning, didn't have my higher power. I couldn't understand it properly. So my sponsor says, do you believe that there's a higher power that's kept me sober? And I was like, yeah, of course, you have a crazy story and I don't know how you're still sober. So she's like, great, pray to that one. So you borrowed her one at the beginning, slowly, slowly was able to bring it into mine and pray to pray to my higher power. Um, meditation was something I picked up more later on in my program. I did try, but sitting with myself for 30 seconds in my head, I mean, you, you know, I talk fast, so you can imagine how my thought, <laughs> what it's like to be in my head most of the time. I couldn't stick by myself. Um, so do I have like the most, uh, um, like meditative sitting on an island by myself. No, I definitely rely on these um, apps to help me where it's somebody else telling me now breathe, now concentrate on this, now concentrate on that. So my meditation isn't um, this perfect picture, but it's my, it's my meditation. It's 10 minutes where I can focus on my breathing, empty my head. Sometimes like insight and ideas will come. Um, and I actually, I'm not here to say like God's spoken to me, but I do feel like I, through my meditation, I've been able to get answers that I didn't know I had. Um, sometimes I just don't know what to do next and just sitting allows me to be more sure of what I do need to do next. Um, I used to absolutely hate calling people in the program about something that's come up. And they're like, I think you need to ask God what to do. And I was like, that is the worst answer you could give me. I don't talk, you know, God and I don't communicate like I don't hear back from him. But it's actually something that I've really learned. The pausing and praying reminds me I'm not running the show. I could take a break. The world, the world won't fall apart. And I can really evaluate, judge, ask for guidance. And in that sense, I'm able to just live a more mindful, thoughtful um, um, life. And I never used to be like that. I used to just be guided by this voice in my head that the first thought that came to mind, I just used to do. The first person who I wanted to act out with, I'd make sure I get it. The, the, I had no time between the, when the thought hit my head and the, the time and decision to act out. It was like one thing. And now... Just being able to separate, to stop, to pause, to pray, to to be okay with uncertainty, to hold on to fear, to feel anxious and be okay with it. That's all helped through uh, my meditation. Another key concept is the being of service. And this can happen well before your step 12. The main thing it taught me is to get out of myself. There's only so many things I could do for myself to try and help. And when that hasn't happened, I go out of myself and help someone else. And there's, you'd be surprised of how many opportunities there are around us, whether it's like immediate family, extended family, strangers on the street, walking into a shop and just complimenting how the, you know, the girl there has folded the tops or whatever it is. There's just so much space for me to get out of my head and smile, be, be there for somebody else. And so much of my life today is run with what can I do to help somebody else? Um, thank God. Um, I have an amazing job for that. I'm a primary school teacher and I have 30 little darlings who I can help every single day for most of the day. So that's a really, really good opportunity. Um, I used to be the kind of teacher that spent ages planning. And then this class was going to do my plan. And now I'm walking to a classroom. I check every child's face to see how their break time's gone. And I feel not the energy, but I feel what's going on in the room. And I'm like, God, please help me say the right thing. Help these children hear the right thing. And let me teach what they need to be taught rather than what my lesson plan says, meeting the you know government's national curriculum standards. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Um, service also includes putting self-care on the agenda. So believe it or not, the more my pr program um, 
progresses, the more important my bubble baths are, my lit, my lit candles, my uh, getting my nails done. These small things remind me, you know, that I'm the person that has to live in my body. I used to hate being me. And now I actually can have pleasure in being me, taking care of myself and things like that. So after a year of working the program, I worked the steps in a year and I started dating um, when I'd finished the steps at the same time as my year. Fin- uh, my year was um, complete on the guidance of my sponsor and I started dating and I, through the like Jewish kind of system, um, I was, I, I met my husband and there was absolutely no room for lust. Um, it was, it was great. It was such a clear indicator that, you know, that things were starting off on a good foot. There was no room for it. I constantly checked things in with my sponsor and I had to put extra boundaries that other people may not have. For example, I couldn't text him late at night. So much of my acting out had happened when I was like lonely in bed and wanted attention and validation. So I had to do things I didn't want to, but that's what we do in the program to stay sober. Um, in terms of some people ask me like, do you do you um, disclose to your potential partner? Um, I did. I did. I had um, guidance and help doing it. And I I was very careful with what I said. Nothing was a lie, but I didn't give him anything that he could then picture exactly what had happened because I don't believe that's healthy. And that was the guidance I was given. Um, And it was important for me to get clean. And I also wanted to tell you, because this is really important, like at the time when I was telling him about the program I was in, it was not a shameful experience. It was not embarrassing and it wasn't even torture. It was the most amazing experience that I could turn to my like potential partner, a potential getting engaged and say, I want you to know where I've come because I'm so proud of where I am now. Being able to tell him what it is to work a program in a day, the, you know, getting on my knees in the morning, doing a 10th step at night, speaking to my sponsor, getting, getting clean with every resentment, every fear, every selfish and dishonesty. It's an amazing thing that I was proud to be a part of. Um, and so that, that was definitely a nice experience. And he spoke to my sponsor to find out a few more things. I felt like my sponsor could somehow like eloquently say a few more things that I couldn't. Um, and yeah, it was something that I was so proud of and I was happy to then share it um obviously it does come with the risk marrying an addict but at that point you know my sponsor said to him look if she takes this daily medication she'll be okay for the rest of her life and that I think was the source of comfort for him um I got um I got married and believe it or not I genuinely have a lust-free marriage now that doesn't make sense. I know I haven't gone into my story, but for anyone who knows my story or anyone who can imagine a really crazy story, it doesn't make sense that I, with all the acting out, all the lust, all the craziness, all the fact that I could not stay, I did not act out with anyone who was available to me. The fact that I can stay in a happy, committed marriage, lust-free, is an absolute miracle. And I really thank my higher power, the program, and all the people that helped me to exist in this realm. I do not fight lust anymore. It's not a struggle. It's not something that I'm working on every day. It's not, it used to be, um, even when I was getting sober, that used to be a massive fight and struggle. But, you know, with time, with working my program, I don't fight lust anymore. I deal with, I got all the tools I need to deal with things when they come up. And most of them happen before we even get to lust. So I sort out my resentments before I'm even driven to wanting to escape. I sort out my fears before I get a resentment at somebody before I lust. So I deal with all the things under the surface so that I don't need to lust. I don't need to escape. I can be present and involved in my life, living my life. Um, And some people have also asked like, oh, lust in marriage, is that okay? And it depends for me how how you'd understand lust. For me, lust, and I remember seeing it in, in my eyes, in the eyes of the people that I was acting out with, lust for me is super animalistic. It's that base drive, desire, hunger, neediness. Now, all those things 
in the right way appear in a marriage healthy desire you know intimacy but not the animalistic my sponsor once described it to me you know how like um if you're driving a car and a deer sees your headlights it doesn't it doesn't um fight or flight it freezes right and it's got its eyes piercing into your car and for me that's lust that fixation that neediness that hunger and that there's no space you for have that. five there's, minutes left thank <laughs> you so much so I'm gonna I'm gonna the last part of um what I just wanted to talk about is adapting my program my program has not been the same since when I started and I treat it a bit I don't take myself so seriously anymore believe it or not I treat it a bit like a social experiment so there have been times when I've started series and I found myself I say one series and I end up watching three four five or six and guess what that has to go for a bit if it's a week if it's 30 days if it's more than that and then I try again can I watch these series without it controlling me and it's like a social experiment if it works I do more of it if it doesn't work it doesn't have a place in my life right now and so that's what I'm saying about the um um, sobriety, my sobriety definition, not, not my sobriety definition doesn't change in my bottom lines, but some elements get added, removed, taken away based on how I'm coping with it. And it's okay to not be able to do some of the things that my friends can, can do easily. And sometimes I've been able to bring it back and see what happens. Um, my program is far from perfect, but I feel like, um, what I do have and what I am grateful for is my, like my open mindedness. As I say in the program, my willingness to do what it takes and my honesty. I'm honest about whatever comes up and try to deal with it. Um, just to end off with where things are now. Now, this is, um, I didn't know if I was going to share this or not, because everything I've said until now, I would say, go and do it. Go and do these kind of tools. Use the kind of um, um, methods or approaches that I've used. Now, I do think after a, a while in the program, my my priorities have changed. I will always be a sexaholic. I will always need to stay sober. I've had to, I've adapted more and more. So I, I could, you could tell I'm a bit uncomfortable about saying this. I used to need to go to three meetings a week. I don't go to three meetings a week anymore. I used to um, um, get on my knees every morning. I no longer need to get on my knees every morning. Okay. Now this is a deeply personal journey. And the reason I know that it's working for me is because I've stopped going to less to, to meet. I've stopped going to more meetings. I've joined community projects. I have replaced some things that used to be program, 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 program with other parts that f- fuel me, feed me, etc. So my program is not my my program is not solely based on program, but I have a much more holistic day, making sure I'm taking my care of myself in all different ways. Now, obviously, that's um, appropriate even in the program. Um, And I used to think, oh, my goodness, I'm not working a proper program because I'm not doing 20 things in my day for my program. When I was desperate, when I couldn't stay sober by myself, when I was fighting lust, there was so much I needed to do and and should do to help myself. Now that lust has become less of a top plate issue, I am allowing different other things into my life, finding parts of other even programs, sometimes visiting an a- um, AA meetings, sometimes even looking at other, I'm studying um psychology and neuroscience so looking at other areas so I'm seeing I'm not ruling anything out but I'm seeing what can I gain from other people parts of my religion different um, avenues in my job which may have not been um, my you know my tunnel vision at the beginning so I do want to say that because I used to think that I would have to work the most intense program for the rest of my life and I did I did do that for many years and now I'm not doing that anymore. My program is not the center of my life. Being a sexaholic is will never change. Needing to stay sober will never change. How I go about feeding myself, feeding my soul, connecting with my higher power has changed. And I think it is important for me to say, because um, I used to think this is how things would have to be for the rest of my life. But actually, and I've seen it with other people, longer 
sober, uh, sober members. Some work the same program when they were in day one, and some have um, loosened the rein slightly, but feeding with other stuff. So I hope that makes sense. I've never um, properly explored that area by sharing about it, but I think it is important um, for, to say, and also so you know where I am today. Um, that desperation isn't there. Um, and I think that sums up you know, where I was, where my program, ha- what happened, the, the milestones, the important parts of it, and where I am today. And no one's knocked on my door yet. This is great. It's been lovely to speak um, speak and share here. I'm looking forward to uh, the rest of the meeting. Thank you. I'm John, sexaholic and a good man from Nashville. And I did not think I was going to share, but near the end of your share, I thought I should say something. I, I thought I should say something that was on my mind, which is a compliment, but it may not sound like a compliment at first. Um, it's because uh, I could just say that's the that's that's the best speaker I've ever heard in all of the speakers that I've ever heard, uh, that I've ever heard. But that's not what I'm saying. The compliment I want to give you it is it was, it was a great talk. But the thing that really stood out to me was the contagious exuberance and the absolutely transformed life, which is what's really been appealing to me lately in what has changed for me recently and is is starting to believe that I can unlock a life I've never known before. And I believe based on just everything about the way you presented that, um, that your life has been completely transformed and it's hard to, it's hard to imagine. It's hard. I shouldn't even say, I shouldn't even say that it's hard, hard to imagine that you were (laughs) that you, when you, when you came in, you know what I mean? Because you, you just seem, you just, exude this thing that I think is very contagious. Also, the last thing you said, I know I could tell that you had a lot of trepidation about saying it and I can understand it because it kind of sounds a little bit at odds with, with what we hear, which is you're going to be like this for the rest of your life and you're going to have to get on your knees every morning for the rest of your life. I'm so grateful that you said that, but in a very qualified way to say time, time, John, thank you. You know, so so thanks, thanks for sharing. Thank you, John. Uh, Buddy? Yes, I'm Buddy. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Um, thank you. Thank you for your, uh, your upbeat, your, your, your positivity and all that. Um, at the moment, I don't have that. Um, I've been sexually sober 23 years. And it has been a struggle. Not with staying sober, um, but with finding a desire to live. And so two years ago, I started some intense trauma therapy and uncovered this issue with abandonment that I have carried all my life from the time I was eight years old um, when I was abandoned after I nearly died. And um Yesterday, my trauma therapist quit. Um, The first thought that I came to my mind is, I'm not going to kill myself today. I'm just not going to harm myself today. I don't understand what just happened, but I know I'm not going to act out today. Um, I worked my butt off for two years to work through this issue, and I've learned a lot. Um, and with the abandonment issue, I guess I worked through it because I don't really feel abandoned. That's time, buddy. Okay, that's all. I'm staying sober today. Thank you. Thank you for we sharing, you, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Shipra? Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. You're muted, Shipra. Shipra, you're muted, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Francis. First, yes. first of all, I would like to know who your sponsor is. Second of all, I would like to know if you are open to sponsoring because I'm looking out for a sponsor. 
some of the things that you said, I'm kind of exactly there. I mean, but I could not relate to the point where you said you started the step work and you got sober in one year. If it was that easy, I've been here four years trying. I've been sober uh, 90 days twice, uh, but it's been progressive. And uh, sorry, I was also joined late, so I don't know what all you told before that. I would like to re- really listen to your recording. Uh, besides that, uh, what you said in the end about changing your lifestyle to a lot less of program i could relate to that uh because sometimes i get to get frustrated with uh where the future is going to be and when the priorities would change uh i think so you have to receive god whatever be the medium uh if you're doing some good human work and you can still connect through them if you tell us through children and children you see your god then i think so if you are now if you just have to keep your high, vibration of the mind at that level because i started doing that gratitude in the morning is higher vibration then when it starts coming down i do something else about the program again taking my vibration to the higher level then i after taking a call and then in the night i do a meeting single meeting so uh, out of doing one and a half hour of stuff i save my rest of 23 and a half hours so that's what i see and uh, it's been working for me but then definitely uh when uh, we also have to get, get rehabilitated into normal life that's and uh, and that's the biggest hope for me to see myself joining the rest of the world thank you thank you shipra malki i don't know if you want to answer some questions um, yeah i'm happy to um it sounds like it's more of like a conversation for after the meeting and i'm happy to give my number out afterwards for and i see for any women on the call thank you thank you great thank you uh next one will be nancy hi nancy is sexaholic really good to hear you talk i appreciate you sharing and i would echo about the enthusiasm that that's just infectious um i like the prayers that you were saying um i think it was god help me god help me god help me there's lots of degrees of you know my pray program prayers or serenity prayer or sometimes i go you know the 1 2 3 is i can't you can't i'll let you but sometimes it's so severe i'll be like oh god 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 and that's okay you know i mean it's it's whatever it takes i'm i would be interested in hearing it was wonderful the thought that you can pause and the world goes on and i'm not god are there other ways if you've learned that you can let go of control and think that everything depends on you i'd be interested in some tips thanks thanks for your um feedback and i'd say the one tool that i've recently picked up with the help of um my meditating is it it's involves a bit of pausing but it's more something to do in the pause um which is creating a so to speak container within me where whatever that intense emotional experiences i'm able to hold so instead of trying to convince myself how i'm actually not anxious or you know sometimes it doesn't it's not enough for me to say god i turn my fears to you i know i i sometimes that's enough sometimes i just have to allow myself to feel the feeling as it is and still carry on because the controlling parts of me part of me wants to fix the feeling wants to change the feeling wants to turn it into something positive um you know and i've really learned um and it's also been like a part of my therapy work is to be able to be in the experience as it is um so that container trying to name the emotion that was really important half the time i didn't know what i was feeling so i just acted out to get rid of the feeling but being able to say like okay this is a hell of a lot of fear you know um i do a lot of serenity prayer which can i con- what what can i do that i can control and what can't i and then carry on or this is a big resentment how can i still you know carry it and talk politely to this other person or you know so that being able to carry the experience without controlling to change to fix it is something that i use a lot today thank you very much 
Thank you, Maki. Jenna, you will be next. Hi, I'm Jenna. I'm a sexaholic. I'm so glad to be here today. I had it on my calendar. I didn't know anything about you or who you were, Malky, but I knew that, you know, it was wonderful to be at the meeting last week and we were talking after the meeting and I just um, knew there'd be a woman sexaholic at the meeting this week. And so here I am. And I'm so glad I heard your message. There's so much I could say um, related to a lot of um, a lot of your recovery practices. The repetitive prayer was something I learned in essay. I never would have thought that was useful. Um, it's, I, I wasn't raised to pray that way, that kind of sort of, I was just not raised to pray that way. Um, and I, and I thought of it as, um, sort of religious and not spiritual. And I thought of it as, um, kind of about, uh, rules and forms and not about a deeper relationship to higher power. So was, wasn't it so great to learn that, like you said, you can't lust and pray at the same time. So I remember that was one of the biggest gifts of recovery was learning that I could say, please Lord, help me. I'm powerless over lust. Please Lord, help me. I'm powerless over lust. Please Lord, help me. I'm powerless over lust or fear or anger. And that what I noticed the way I described it. And now that I'm back coming back to recovery and getting to slowly, slowly come back to that spiritual basis and those gifts is that the, I'll, I'll have one shot, one foot on shore. When I'm praying like that, one foot is on shore and it doesn't mean the ocean isn't still tugging at me and tugging at me and tugging at me. But what a difference to have one foot on shore. Um, thanks, Francis. And I also wanted to just say that I think for me, the important thing is that people that really do get the gifts of recovery, um, the key maybe is, you know, please stick around. And so that they can be transmitted to others. I, my, my old sponsor doesn't go to meetings anymore. She's wonderful. She's moved past that. She's gotten involved in her life and I still call her and we talk, but I just appreciate the, that, that you can still stay in recovery and carry your message of um, hope. Thanks. Thank you, Jenna. Okay. I've got a question myself. Um, no, not really a question. Just, so many things I thought like, oh my God, that's just me, you know, but like five years before you probably. Um, two things you said, uh, first of all, the desperation that is really necessary to be completely desperate to do this program. I could so relate to that because uh, I I did my first SA meeting. It was a face-to-face meeting here in Belgium in February 2020, uh, right before the pandemic. And it was, it was nothing for me back then. I, I just said like, these are just very old fashioned guys and, and they are, you know, they, they, that's just a stupid idea. So I, I did what I, what I did for, for another year, uh, almost a year. And then I, I was so desperate, so desperate that I thought I tried, I talked about this in my therapy group. Um, and these people, they, they just did not understand. And I was thinking like, okay, I'm the only one in the world with this problem. You know, nobody understands me. I'm the only one in the whole world. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to try these guys from SA again. You know, going to do it again because I'm very desperate. And my first meeting in uh, January this year, I, I it was like coming home. And one year ago, I was not desperate at all. And it was like, these were just a bunch of freaks. And now I thought like, oh my God, I'm home. Finally, finally, finally. And I had to stop fighting because I was exhausted. I was exhausted from all this fighting. Time, Natalie. Thank you, Francis. Okay. My second thing, we're just going to skip that. Thank you, Maki, for your share. It was great. If someone else likes to share, just raise your hand, uh, please. Hi, no, Patrick, I'm please. A, uh, uh, me? Yes, thank you. Hi, everybody. My name is Noah. I'm sexualic and I'm from Israel. And I want to say uh, thank you, Malki. That was really powerful for me. Uh, I felt like you're speaking right to me. And it's so... Uh, what I, everything I felt on the last days, all, all, all my doubts and what will be, and I, in this age and blah 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 bl
to see you and to identify with all the things that you you're saying is like uh, giving me really hope a lot of hope and I really feel like I, I, I would like to speak to you more so yay it's really nice to meet someone that I really I can understand and uh, maybe I will be able to pronounce myself and um, I want to say I think I forgot because I'm nervous it's my first time I'm speaking in English so just thank you I will remember later <laughs> thank you thank you Noah from now on uh, members with fewer than 30 days can share as well um, Lee Hi, my name's Lee and I'm a sexaholic. And Malpi, I think uh, it was a great, uh, great share. I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, I especially enjoyed uh, the creation of a filter or a firewall, uh, which is an artificial, uh, not an artificial, it's a practice of surrender. I also uh, liked the idea of... Uh, borrowing a higher power uh, to begin with. Uh, and that's what I call belief in the experience of others. Um, so, but I really want to uh, compliment and uh, follow up on your idea about uh, recovery, enlarging your life rather than constricting it. Uh, when I was first in recovery, About three years later, I wound up going to 13 meetings a week, sponsoring people, having a sponsor, and uh, doing service in meetings. And, uh, and I finally had to get professional help for that craziness. And it's loosened my garment. And uh, I, my garment is loose enough for me to live life today. And that's extraordinary. How did you make the transition from rigidity to fluidity? Uh, and that, that's something I'd like to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Thanks for um, your feedback. And it's a really good question. And it was one that came with a lot of confusion. Um, at first, when I stopped going to my three regular meetings, I said to my sponsor, like, do you think I'm just looking for excuses not to go to me? I was constantly doubting myself doubting if like how could anything be right if it's not choosing program I really really felt like if it wasn't program uh, like then it couldn't have been as good as or it couldn't be better than um, and the first thing I had to do was I had to check as usual everything in with my sponsor is what I'm saying coming from a place of excusing myself and trying to get out of it or is it generally okay and I think it, I just like the the of um, loosening the reins a bit um, and And my sponsor, like I said before, is a very much like, this is a social experiment. Try it. Try not going to all your meetings and see what happens. And I had to be prepared to go to meetings if my recovery was uh, slipping or if I was taking in more lust. And I was. So being prepared, like wanting it to be the right thing so much that if this was the wrong thing, I would go straight back to where I and pick up where I left off. So that attitude de definitely helped. Um, and I never cancelled things with other people. I still did my DSR every day. I still sp speak to my two sponsees every day. It just meant that I wasn't looking and accepting and finding new sponsees. And it just meant that I was um, making sure during the time of my meeting, I wasn't just scrolling on my phone. There was something else I was doing. So um, so making sure that it wasn't excuses and rationalizations, and I couldn't be the judge of that. I had to get my sponsor to help me with that. And also, like what I said, If it's working, it's okay. My, I've got enough of this internal radar. You know, we have an internal radar like nobody else because most people can act out and then feel good for a really long time afterwards. We act out and we hate ourselves before we've even started. And I think for, for later on, that's now benefited me because I know, um, you know, I know when I start to feel really not good about what I'm doing because I've been on the computer too long or I've been scrolling through my phone for too long because it's that same feeling of this 
doesn't feed me. This isn't connection. This isn't filling me up. Um, and I think using that very same radar that got us into so much trouble has helped me to be the help me to judge, um, you know, what I can and what I can't. And um, the last thing I'll just say on that is I still, when I pass on the message to my sponsees who are earlier on in recovery, I do not say, I still say, you know, go to three meetings a week. And at first I felt like, oh, well, I'm not going to three meetings. Can I really say it? But I have to remember, this is what I did to keep sober. This is what I'm going to pass on. Even if it's not where I'm exactly now, that's okay. They're not asking, what do I do when I'm five years sober? They're asking, I'm in my first year. My life is chaotic. And if I say, get to your next meeting, that's fine. Even if I don't have to do that right now today. So that was also a mind shift. Um, Anyway, that was a bundle of thoughts, another bundle from my busy brain. Thank you. Thanks, Marky. Thanks, Marky. Sarah? Yes, hi. Uh, I just... Your sharing today has been so helpful and touching to me personally. Um, I, I found SA, I don't know, I think it was 15 or 14 years ago. And I recently chose to reset my date, whether I really needed to or not. Some people would argue. Um, but for a while now, I felt like, uh, it, it wasn't feeding or I've almost felt like it was bringing me down coming to the groups, it it wasn't being a positive thing anymore. And you, so many of your shares today and what was you were saying on how you progress and what you do were just so encouraging to me that, you know, because like you said, it, it almost seems against, against what they outline or say you should do. I'm just, I'm really encouraged. And, uh, Thank you for sharing today. And uh, yeah, I mean, I know, like you said, I'm in the U.S., but I would appreciate too, whether it's email or a phone number, just having some communication. Um, I needed, I needed to be here today, and I'm glad I was. Uh, and just thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Um, anyone else who likes to ask something or wants to share something? Patrick, I thought you wanted to say something, but uh, it was a little bit too fast for me. Hi, this is Patrick. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I was wondering if you would just talk some more about boundaries, my point of powerlessness. Um, I actually took notes while I was driving. That was such a great share. <laughs> I'm now sitting in traffic. But, um, yeah, I was wondering if you would talk a little bit more about the way you defined your points of powerlessness. And even I imagine even now this expansion of points of powerability. I'm just curious if you would, would share that wonderful experience. Thank you. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to say it in more detail. And um, it's interesting, even even for like uh, more sober people to still look back and remind them about this. What I had to do is I mapped all my decision points that leaded to acting out. So I had multiple ways of acting out. So this was a few different like trees or lines, if you can imagine. And I would start from the very, very beginning. And if it doesn't work, work backwards um, from the acting out what happened before that. So for example, um, I, I, another, like I said before about my chat room example, if I talk about an actual acting out one, it would be, you know, I'm the decision points and I would circle like in red, the ones that I have control over. And then as soon as I hit that one, that I don't know what's going to happen after that. That's my point of powerlessness. So, you know, calling a guy or a guy messaging me, arranging a time, all that I have control over. Um, 
you know, um, but the point for me where I lost powerlessness was when I started to prepare myself, you know, uh, doing my makeup and, you know, um, doing my nails, whatever it was to my doing, like beautifying my body, so to speak. That was a point where I felt I had now at that point, I had to share it with someone. It wouldn't be fair for me to just, you know, go back on this and take it all off. So that was my point of powerlessness. Somebody might be powerless only when they step on the train or only when they meet, get in the car to meet that person. So it's, it's different for everybody, but it is super powerful to know at what point when I engage in this decision or this activity, will I not know what will happen afterwards? And that was, that's the point of, of powerlessness. Thank you, Maki. We have time for one or maybe two other shares, if someone uh, likes. Can I, Shifra here, can I say one small point here? Yes. Uh, the point that you said about retracking. So first few, six months of this program, I have been stuck in a 16, 15-day cycle. And when I was not able to understand what's going on with me, like you said, I from the point of acting out, I, somebody said to me that you dig your grave 15 days ahead of your acting out or t- uh, five days ahead of your acting out. So uh, they never said the number of days, but they said you dig your grave way before you ast- actually act out. So from that, I picked up that cue and I started uh, backtracking as from the fifth day onward, I started making notes. What actually happened today? And I saw that someday it was some friend request from someone. Then second day would be my dad shouting at me. Or third would be the topic of marriage. So it was building up. For me, it was never 24 hours. I was not in a cycle of 24 hours or say two days or three days. I was in a cycle of 15 days because I was putting it in a in a in a app. And I could see the graph that 15 day is where I will, my cycle stops. So uh, I really like the point where you said, I, I was like, I almost got chills when you said that you would backtrack it because that's the way I understood that my emotional unmanageability and resentments were the real cause and they were all adding up to take me to the 15th day. So uh, now I can tell what I'm that's feeling and I can tell within two, days, within two days, I will have a slip. So I tell myself, I tell my sponsor, and I jump into doing things which I need to do. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mark. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.